Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Today, get your Bibles and go with me to Acts chapter number 20. We're going to start out in verse number 7. This is the story of us. The book of Acts is our story. It's talking about our lives here and now today. A lot of times people think of the book of Acts as a history lesson about the birth of the church and how the church expanded, that sort of a thing. And while it is, and while we understand that we can learn some history from it, really, the Bible tells us that all of these stories are left as examples for you and for me of how to live our lives presently here and now today. The title of today's specific message is Staying Awake to Life. Staying Awake to life. Now, I mentioned we're going to start out in verse number 7, but verse number 1 through 6 are, are very important, and they encourage us to understand what the Apostle Paul was doing and where he was going. After the riot, he heads out, and he starts to travel, and really you could find Paul's third missionary journey, for the most part, in these six verses. It's probably during this time that he wrote the book of 2 Corinthians, as well as wrote the book of Romans. How many of you know Romans is important to our faith, right? The dispensation of grace and that sort of a thing that we live in today. These are important times and important moments, and yet, just like the Bible often does, it sums up months and months of activity in six little verses. And so here he is traveling, here he is doing the will of God and going forth and preaching the gospel and strengthening the church, and he's got something on the inside of him, I believe. I think that he's, he's, he knows that there's something stirring on the inside of him that he needs to go back to Jerusalem because there is a plan of God for his life. There was a direction that he had to go that ultimately he was going to end up in Rome. And we can see that he starts heading towards Jerusalem at this time. And it says in verse number 7, it says, uh, that, that he, was, he was traveling, he comes to this place called Troas, and he was there for seven days. And it says, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, we know that the first day of the week is Sunday, right? Because Saturday was the seventh day, it was the day of rest, and so they would have their Sabbath church services, right? They would come together. But then the believers, the disciples, oftentimes would meet on Sunday, the first day of the week, because they were remembering the resurrection of our Lord. And they would gather together. Uh, many times they would have love feasts, which would be like our potluck, that sort of a thing. But they would also celebrate the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread, the drinking of the wine, remembering the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is getting ready to leave on Monday, but he was having church with these guys. And he's talking to them, and I believe that he had this thing in him that he's going to Jerusalem, and he knew he wasn't coming back this way again. And he knew it was important to deliver to them what they needed to be strong and healthy. So here he starts talking and talking and talking and talking, and he continues his message until midnight. Verse number eight, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. So I, I get the idea that this place was packed, that there was a whole lot of people sitting there in this church service, and that because of the late hour and because they were in this upper room, they went and they got those lamps. You've seen those little oil lamps, right? They're kind of an oval shape. They've got a hole at the middle and, and a hole on top. They, they pour oil into that, and they have a wick coming out the front, and they light that. They probably had a bunch of those. People probably were holding them in their hands or putting them up on shelves or tables in different parts of the room, that sort of a thing. And so it says there were many lights in the upper room that night. Verse number 9, and in the window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by 
sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Now, this could have been a humorous story up to this point, right? Because here's Paul, and he's long-witted. He's preaching this message. He's going for a long time. There's a young man sitting in the window. Why is he sitting in the window? Because it probably was hot in the room. Think about that. You're in a third-story room. There's a lot of lamps lit, so there's a lot of heat coming off those things. Then there's a lot of bodies in the room, so there's a lot of heat coming off the bodies. It was probably muggy in that room. It, it probably The air was probably thick, and it was warm, and Paul's preaching, and, and he's going long, and it's the midnight hour, and this young man goes, whoo, it's hot in here. And so he goes, and he sits by the window to get a cool breeze coming across his neck. And so here he is, he's comfortable, it's late, the lights are lit, and oh my, woo, he falls out the window. But the problem is, the story stops being funny when we realize he's dead. It says this in verse number 10, but Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. He speaks a word of faith, he declares a miracle is taking place. This man's not dead. He's actually alive. Verse number 11, now when he had come up, he had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even until daybreak, and then he departed. So Paul wasn't done talking yet. Again, the humor in this story, you think about this. This man just preached till midnight. Someone fell out of the window and died. He says, he's not dead. His life is still in him. He was obviously dead. The Bible would not have said he was dead if he was not dead. If he'd just fallen out and he was still alive and kind of just, you know, like a cartoon all mangled up, and, but he was still alive and they could peel him off the concrete, it would have said that he was okay. But it says they took him up dead. He was lifeless. No pulse, no breath, nothing going on. But Paul grabs a hold of him and says, do not trouble yourselves for his life's in him. And then when he'd come up, it says he'd broken bread and eaten and talked a long while. It means he went from midnight to morning. Oh, my goodness. And then he departed, verse 12, and they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. That means they were a lot comforted. Eutychus did not die. He lived to tell the story, and the Bible records it for you and I today. I've heard stories of people falling asleep in church before, and in fact, we've seen it here in this church. Pastor Jim tells stories of people where their heads were doing this number, and he'd run down the aisle and give him a tap or a, a kick or, you know, slap his Bible or something like that just to wake him up. I've had those moments. I remember one time there was a, a woman over on this side of the room, and I was sitting over on this side of the room, and during praise and worship, we're watching her because her, she, her head was doing the bob, you know, that sort of thing. And then when I got up to preach, my goodness, she was out. And just like snoring, and I'm just thinking, my goodness, I didn't think that I was that bad, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but we've all experienced it. In fact, I heard the story of a woman in church who was there with her husband, and the preacher got up to preach, and the husband just put his head right on her shoulder and fell asleep, started snoring. The preacher got so mad, he finally looked at the woman and said, excuse me, ma'am, can you please wake your husband up? And she looked back at him, and she said, well, you put him to sleep, you wake him up. But I believe that this story is more than just about falling asleep in church. I believe this story shows us the condition of the church. Because there is a church in the United States of America that's been going on for hundreds of years, and there's a church on the earth that's been going on for thousands of years. And the Apostle Peter warns us that everything has been going on ever since the Lord Jesus Christ was raised up and seated at the right hand of God. And people are thinking God's taken a long time. I've heard that message before. I've heard this going on. We've heard a lot of preaching in our day. And the propensity for us as human beings after a while is to get lulled into inactivity, to find a place that's comfortable and that feels good to the flesh. 
and kind of just tuck in, cozy up, and sleep. The problem with falling asleep is this, is that if you fall down, you might die. We need to watch ourselves as a church that we're not a sleeping church because a sleeping church has the potential of being a dead church. In the book of Revelation, God said that there was a church that had a name that they were alive and yet they were dead. And for all of us, we need to understand that the times and the seasons that we live in, we could be the generation that sees the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't want to be the one that when Jesus comes on the earth, that he finds us sleeping and without oil in our lamps. No, I want to be the one that's ready and waiting for the bridegroom, opening up for him to come in and welcomed into the feast. And so it's important that we stay awake. But how do we stay awake? Because if we can stay awake, we can stay alive. So as a church, how do we do this? How do we stay awake? First thing is this, is we need to watch our position. We need to watch our position. See, it makes sense to go somewhere other than a three-story window if you're falling asleep, doesn't it? Is that just me? Is it, you know, my brain says, listen, if you're doing the knot and you're sitting in a window, go find a bed, go home, go lay down, right? Someone else can catch you up on what happened the night before. But remember, it says that Eutychus was a young man, right? And so young men don't often operate in wisdom of the aged. Can, can any of the aged people say amen to me today, right? Uh, we know what we did when we were young. You know, I remember driving to San Diego. I was an intern at a church with a youth group, and I would work with them on weekends and on Wednesdays. And Wednesday night would come around, and we'd have the youth group meeting. And then afterwards, we'd be talking to the kids. And then when the kids left, we'd talk to the leaders, and we'd be hanging out 10, 11, 12 at night. I got a two-hour drive coming home from San Diego. And I would drive home. I would not stay the night down there. I, I had classes in the morning. In fact, I, I had classes early morning Wednesday. I'd stay up late, and then I'd go to class early morning Thursday. And so here I am driving two hours from San Diego home. About the time I hit Nuevo and Paris and all that kind of stuff, I'm doing this on the road. It's not wisdom. It's not wisdom to be driving, and I, I would do everything I could, roll down the windows, adjust my position in the car, right, turn the music up real loud, and then my radio broke, and so that wasn't working anymore. I had people tell me, oh, if you just eat sunflower seeds when you're falling asleep, right, then, then it'll keep you awake. And so I had my bag, the big bag of like the David sunflowers, and I'm just like, put them in my mouth, falling asleep at the wheel, sunflower seeds falling everywhere, flying out the window and everything. See, I was operating in foolishness. I, I didn't really consider the peril to my own life as well as the life of others. Thank God I did because now I got my children on the front row over here, and I'm glad that they were able to be here, glad they were able to have that in our lives. We need to watch our position. Many people don't consider the place that they're at with God. Are you spiritual or are you carnal? People think that they're spiritual because they show up to church one time a week or because they log in online. Not to say that that's bad. You should do that. But listen, if you're just coming to church, sitting in and paying a penance with God, you are not spiritual. A lot of times people make a mess of their lives and they say, well, I don't understand what's wrong. I go to church. But you can see it even in their physical position in church. Now, now the, the past years kind of messed this up. People aren't sitting in their normal places and they're not doing their normal things. And so some of the people that were solid are now uh, in a different place or people that had health challenges now, they don't sit in the front rows like they used to anymore. They'll sit far away because they, they just are being wise and, and, and just doing what they have to do to stay healthy. I understand that. So things are not normal. But in normal settings, we could see this where people were sitting in church. People would come. They'd get excited for God. My goodness, they'd be here early. They'd be on the first three 
three, four rows, you know, getting wherever they could. They'd be like, you know, looking at the pastors like, is there a seat next to I want to sit next to a pastor, right? I got to get close to the spout where the glory comes out. I got I to gotta get as close as I can, you know what I mean? And so they'd be coming and hoping that some of the spit from the pulpit hits them, you know, all that kind of stuff. Getting in the first couple rows, Bible ready, notes ready, that sort of a thing. But after a while, they get a little bit complacent. They kind of get their way around the scriptures, and they start to understand some things about life, and they realize, you know what, uh, you know, it's cool, I, I can still make it, and so they start sitting in the middle sections, the middle rows. Fences come, things happen, they got overlooked for a position in the children's ministry, they were really hoping that somebody would, would, would elevate them, and so then they bounced over to the youth, and when the youth wasn't recognizing their talents, they went over to the praise and worship team, and uh, they got told they couldn't sing, and so they really got hurt by that. Next thing you know, they're coming late to church. They're showing up in the back rows. It's not long before they're out and they're watching online. Not that everybody watching online is this way, but now all of a sudden they watch online, and then eventually, well, I, I can catch the replay sometime during the week, and now they're getting it just when they're driving to work for 15 minutes, and then they forget to go back to it, and eventually they're not listening, they're not attending, they're not watching at all, and they slip back, and they fall asleep, and they die. Got to watch our position. Got to understand that this is a trick of the devil. In fact, uh, famed reformer Martin Luther 500 years ago had a parable about the devil. I'm going to kind of update this parable for our understanding today just so that we can kind of understand it uh, where, where we can see how the devil would work in these circumstances. Here's what the parable would look like. The devil held a council of all of his top-level demons, brought them all together in a big boardroom-type setting and said, what are we doing to take out the souls of men? And one uh, demon put his hand up and he said, uh, my evil master, I, I, I want to let you know that I sent someone into a school with a gun and they shot up the whole school, ripped apart people's lives and people died and went to hell because of it. And the devil says, everybody roars with applause and the devil says, that's good, but we can do better. What are we doing? And another one raises his hand and says, oh, my evil master, I got to tell you, this past year, uh, you know, these natural disasters, I brought on some of them and I, I created environments where they would really wreak havoc. And, and not just dozens of people died like over there, but hundreds of people died and, and many of them went to hell. And guess what? People actually blamed God. They said it was an act of God and therefore people abandoned their faith and everybody roared around the table with applause. And the devil said, that's good but we can do better. And finally, one large demon close to the front said, my evil master, I got to tell you what I've been up to. I've been working in the churches. There's been revival going on. Power of God has been moving. The preaching has been word-based. And so I made sure that their pews were filled with people. I made sure that the preacher's voice was, was connecting. I made sure that they had enough money and resource and that everything was easy. And I lulled them to sleep from the pulpit to the pew, and now they aren't effective at anything they're doing. And this time, the devil himself started to roar with applause. We need to watch our position. We need to understand. See, many people can handle failure. Many people, when they have problems, they run to God, they pray harder, they open the Word. But when we start having success... When things start going good, that's when we need to watch. That's why God told the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, be careful when you enter the land, when you're eating from vineyards that you didn't plant and sit in houses you did not build, that you don't forget about the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant on the earth. 
We need to watch ourselves. We need to check out our position. In fact, Jesus told a parable in Mark chapter number 13. If you'd like to turn there with me, go ahead. I'm going to read it to you in the voice paraphrase. And I like the way that it said it in the voice. I like some of the ways that it brought forth the truths. But you can read it along in whatever translation you would have. Maybe some of you guys are kind of artistic. Maybe you like drama and that sort of thing. The voice paraphrase was written uh, sort of like a script. And so if you like reading that way, that might be a good paraphrase for you to uh, have alongside whatever translation you learn from. Mark chapter 13, verse 34 through 37 in the voice paraphrase says this. It says, this situation is like a man who went on a journey. When he departed, he left his servants in charge of the house. Each of them had his own job to do. And the man left the porter to stand at the door watching. Everybody say watching. Online, if you'd like to type that in the comment section, if you can see that, go ahead and type that watching. He says that everybody in the house had a job to do. He would tell the cook, I need you to make sure everybody gets fed at the right times. He, he went to the butler, I need you to make sure that everything is in order, okay? Be watching over everything. Went to the, the farmer, make sure all the crops are, are doing well, make sure all the animals are taken care of. And then he goes to the porter, he says, I need you just to be right here at the door. And I've got one job for you, I want you to watch. Watch for my return. Make sure that when I come, this door opens for me, okay? That was his job. He had that one job, and some translations actually say, and he should not fall asleep. It goes on in the next verse, verse number 35. It says, so stay awake. Everybody say, stay awake. Because no one knows when the master of the house is coming back. It could be in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. Verse 36, he says, stay awake. Everybody say, stay awake. Be alert so that when he returns suddenly, the master won't find you sleeping. Verse 37, the teaching I'm giving the four of you now is for everyone who will follow me. I got a question for everybody listening to the sound of my voice right now. If you're here live or online, do we have anybody attending church today that you are following Jesus Christ? Come on, just put your hand up in the air right now. Okay. Then he says, this is a message for you and for me. Look at this. He says, for everyone who will follow me, stay awake. Can everybody shout at me, stay awake? And keep your eyes open. Three times in three verses, he says, stay awake. We've got to watch our position. We've got to make sure if we're sitting in the window, getting cozy and comfortable, if we're sitting in a place that we shouldn't be, doing things that we shouldn't do, that we should watch our position. We should watch our position with others. Are we operating in forgiveness? Are we operating in offenses? Where are we at with God? Are we spiritual or are we carnal? Because it's vitally important to us staying awake. We've got to watch our position. Second thing is this. Second thing is this for us today. How we stay awake. Number two is that we've got to care for people. We've got to care for people. Because if you're not looking out for others, then what are we doing, right? There was a, many lights in that room. Do you think somebody could have looked over at Eutychus there in the window and said, hey, hey, get out of the window. You're falling asleep, man. You could fall and die. Crack your head open, boy. But no one did. They weren't watching out. They were intent on listening to the word, and I, I think that they were doing the right thing, and yet no one noticed someone over their shoulder. We are our brother's keeper, and we have a responsibility to care for people. Famed coach Vince Lombardi was once asked what it took to make a winning team, and he answered, there are a lot of coaches with good ball clubs who understand the fundamentals and have plenty of discipline, but still don't win the game. Then you come to the third ingredient. 
If you're going to play together as a team, you've got to care for one another. You've got to love each other. Each player has to be thinking about the next guy, saying to himself, if I don't block that man, my teammate is going to have his legs broken. I have to do my job well in order that he can do his job well. The difference between mediocrity and greatness is the feeling these guys have for each other. And for us in the church, the difference for us in the church is our love for one another. Remember, Jesus said that we are to love each other like we love ourselves. We are to love one another. We're to look out for each other. We are our brother's keeper. And we need to make sure that people around us aren't falling asleep because if we see them falling asleep, if we see them in the wrong position, we need to get a hold of them and say, hey, it's time to repent. Hey, it's time to turn. Hey, it's time to get out of the window. Hey, come on, time to wake up. Time for us to do this. We're in this together. Look at me, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter number 6. I'm going to take a look at verse number 1 and verse number 2. Galatians, towards the end of Galatians, you'll find chapter 6. Verse number 1 and verse number 2. Look at what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1. It says, brethren, if a man is overtaken, everybody say overtaken. Remember that Eutychus was overtaken by sleep, right? Here it says, if a man is overtaken in any trespass... You who are, what's that word right there? Notice the position. You who are spiritual. Not everyone in church can do this. And the reason why is because not everyone in church is spiritual. If you're a novice, if you're new, if you're in sin, don't think that you're in a position to help others. You've got to help yourself first and you've got to receive help from others. Find someone that's spiritual. Find somebody that's strong. Find somebody that's stable so that, that they can help you so that you can get in the position of being spiritual that, so that then you can help someone else out. So it says, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That means don't knock him overhead with the word. Don't browbeat him with the Bible. No, in a gentle manner, in a gentle fashion. Like somebody who has a broken bone, you wouldn't just grab the leg and rip it up and let me push that. T- no, you'd tenderly set that leg. You tenderly put that in order where it needs to be and hold it strong and put a cast around it until they could get strong on their own. So in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Listen, each and every one of us need to understand this, that we could be put in a position of temptation, of compromise, and of sinning against God. You've read all of the news articles. You've heard all of the scandals in churches about pastors and the foolish things that they've allowed themselves to get into. People who even preach against certain things themselves dove into those things. Guys, that's why I have a a council of pastors around me. That's why I've got a board of directors over me is because they're watching my life and they're able to tell me no. They're able to ask me uncomfortable questions and get in my face. They're able to keep me accountable. And in the same way in the church, we need to look out for one another. That's why it's important to be on a serve team or in a small group or be in relationship with other people so that as we are in relationship with one another, that we can represent Jesus well and that we who are spiritual, when we see someone falling asleep, we can care for them and love them enough to restore them to the position that they need to be in. Look at verse number two. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But he went on to say, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, how? As I have loved you. 
What kind of love did Jesus give? It was a sacrificial love. It was a laying down my life type of a love. And if Jesus did that for us and we're to love one another that, that way, that means we have to have a sacrificial love that lays down our life, that tenderly and gently restores others. Notice how Paul went to Eutychus, wrapped his arms around him, embraced him, and hugged him and lifted him up. There was a compassion that was there. Paul wasn't just off in la-la land or, or just so faith-filled that he was just on mission and just, hey, he's dead, he's fine, he's alive, just leave him. No, he went and he embraced him, he held him, he hugged him. There was a compassionate heart that came out. I believe that's where miracles come from. I believe that's the atmosphere and environment of the miraculous is when there is a care and a genuine love and he embraces him. Church, we need to lift the fallen in the arms of love, not condemning them and judging them to death, but loving them to life. And if you're in a position of strength and awareness, then help those that are weak and sleeping. You can only do this if you're in the spiritual position. So we need to watch our position. Number two, we need to care for others. Last thing is this. Last thing is this for us today. If we're not going to fall asleep, if we're going to stay awake, we have to value our faith. We have to value our faith. Notice that Paul had no problem preaching for hours. He didn't apologize. Guys, I'm so sorry that this has taken long. Please forgive me. Listen, we'll come back. It'll be fine. He didn't do that. He didn't tell them, like, oh, I, I know you only can handle so much. You just need little snippets here and there, and so we'll reconvene. I'll, I'll, I'll postpone my trip to Jerusalem. No. He had no problem preaching for hours upon hours upon hours. Why? Because he valued the Word of God. He valued faith. He valued their faith. If, if he wasn't going to pass this way again, he wanted to make sure that they had everything that they needed to succeed. And they needed this message. They needed the preaching of the Word of God. They needed church structure. They needed the information that he was giving to them. And so here he is, and he's putting a value on the Word. James Smith, who was a pastor and a preacher and a commentator, said this. He said, the people who clamor for short sermons are not likely to be found at a midnight meeting. From the attitude of some modern churchgoers, you would think that they look upon listening to the preaching of the Word of God as a kind of penance that should be made as short as possible. They are perfectly satisfied with the smallest crumb of the heavenly bread for their souls. Then they go home and have a dinner of five courses. It's quite true that there are some sermons long enough at five minutes while others are short at 50. Everything depends on the man and the message. I do agree that preachers should preach a message that is alive, that's passionate, that's involving, that's intriguing, that, that, that gets your senses going, that, that whets your appetite. I do believe that there should be milk and meat in every church sermon because, you know, there's different levels of people's understanding and faith and that sort of a thing. I believe that every preacher should be able to preach to the youngest, to the oldest, right, to the wisest, to the, the simplest. I believe that we should make our messages have that depth and that length and that breadth and that width and and all those things, we got to have these messages, and it's a tall order. It's hard to do sometimes. It's hard to take some of these concepts and make them alive and fun and that sort of a thing, and yet the Spirit of God has the ability to, to do that for each and every one of us. But at the same time, it is not the preacher's responsibility to maintain your salvation. I can come, I can preach as passionately as I can. I can spit, I can have veins popping out of my neck. I, I can run around this, I can jump up and down, I can tell jokes and stories, I can stand on my head. But you have a responsibility on your own to value your faith, to believe God, to get a hold of this word. Every day you should be in your word. Every day you should be praying. Every day you should be in the face of God. Every day you should be worshiping and laying down your life before the Lord. Every day you should be valuing your own faith. I can't do it for you. 
You got to do it. You got to do it. Notice Paul valued his faith enough. He spoke words of faith over a dead body. Don't trouble yourselves. His life is in him. The guy was dead. And yet Paul spoke these words. And then what does he do? He goes and eats breakfast. I'm sorry, what? The guy's dead. Shouldn't you be fasting, Paul? Nah, I'm going to go have some bacon and eggs. And I believe Paul, if he was with the Gentile church, had some bacon. He goes and has breakfast after he speaks these words of faith. Why? Because he believed that he received the will and the word of God. And because of that, he wasn't concerned. His life's in him. How insensitive. He should have waited to see if the miracle stuck. He should have stuck around. He should have been there. Right? I've been criticized. Pastor, we need you to run to the hospital. I'm sorry, I've got church. I'm, we're in the hospital. I've got church. Pastor, people are hanging out and they want you to take some time off. We got church. Pastor, the Super Bowl's coming up. Should we do something on Sunday night? No, we're going to have church. We do the Word of God. We value our faith. We might get more people to come if you showed the, the game on the big screen. I'm sorry. We're not here to watch a football game. We're here to learn the Word of God because we value our faith. Pastor, we need you to meet. We, we need to, our marriage is a mess. We need a meeting. Can we do it during the second service? Absolutely not. You're not preaching, Pastor. I don't care. I'm getting the Word of God. I'm going to be on that front row. I'm going to be learning the Word of God. If, it's, if your marriage is important, then make an appointment. I can't get time off work. Uh, I'm sorry. You'll go to a dental appointment during your work. You'll meet a plumber at your house if a pipe is broken during work hours. But you won't take time to work on your marriage during work hours. We've got to value our faith. We've got to value the things that God has placed in our life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 14. The New Living Translation says, For the light makes everything visible. Do you know the Bible calls the Word of God light? Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Word is that light that was spoken in the darkness that the darkness could not comprehend. God said, Light be and light was. And the word of the Lord stands forever. Jesus is the light of the world. Now we have him in our hearts and he is the light in us. We need to value it because we live in a dark world. And when you value your faith, you will start to see the world through the lens of the word of God. In light of God's presence and countenance, you will start to see things no longer in darkness, no longer dimly lit. No longer groping about for the will of God. No, now you have the light of God, and if you value it, if you will listen to it, then guess what? Then that light will make everything visible. You'll see things that you never saw before. You'll be able to understand and comprehend and perceive the things of life. You'll hear about things on the news, and you will understand that's of God. That's not of God. This is what I need to pray for. This is what I need to do. No longer being discouraged and angry over what's going on in society. No, the light makes everything visible. There's a demon behind that. There's a motive behind that. That's ungodly. This is of man. This is of God. This is what we need to do. You will see life by it. The light makes everything visible. This is why it's said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I believe that's why Paul went and ate a meal. Because he had a journey ahead of him that he needed strength for. 
and he knew the purpose and the plan. He saw. He's not dead. He's alive. I need to strengthen myself. Value your nourishment. Value it. Value the word of God. Value your church attendance. Value your times with God. Value your worship. Value your prayer times, your faith. Because when you feed on the word of God, when you feed on the right things, it will give you the strength of the journey ahead. You'll be able to receive the miracles that God wants you to have in your life and in the life of others. In fact, this young man, Eutychus, had a great name. His name actually means fortunate. Indeed, I believe Eutychus was fortunate. He's fortunate to be in church, fortunate to hear Paul's preaching. But even more than that, he was fortunate that Paul cared about his life. And even though he fell out of a three-story window and died, that this man of God had faith to receive a miracle from God. And he was fortunate to have a church that loved him and surrounded him and cared for him. The Bible says they were not little comforted after they received him back to life. What does that mean? They were so happy. They weren't like, oh, man, he's back. Mm, couldn't we have left him, Paul? No, they were like, oh, thank God. We love this young man. Indeed, he was fortunate. But you know that you and I today here in this church, we're fortunate as well. We are fortunate. We were dead and God saved us and made us alive. We're fortunate to have a church called the Rock Church and World Outreach Center that we attend that for 33 years has been here serving and loving the Indian Empire and we're not going anywhere. We're fortunate to be in a church that preaches the gospel, that preaches the unwatered down, uncompromised word of God every time we gather together. We're fortunate to have a church that's got eight church services a week, different age levels, different languages. We're fortunate to have a church that loves people enough to go out to the streets, to the highways, and to the byways, and to reach out with the love and the message of God and the gospel in the streets and in the barrios of San Bernardino, as well as all over the world. We are fortunate. We're fortunate that every time we gather together that there's a spirit and an atmosphere of faith and the miraculous and that if someone is sleeping, that spiritually speaking, the spiritual ones are going to reach out and wake them up, shake them up, and love them to life and declare the life of God over them. We're fortunate to have faith in a miracle-working God who all things are possible for to them that believe and who alone has the power to change the world that we live in. We're fortunate. We are fortunate. Church, let's watch our position. We need to wake up. If your head's been bobbing, if you've been floundering, going back and forth between two opinions, the world and the things of God, it's time to wake up. It's time to shake ourselves. It's time to watch our position. If you're sitting in the window, get out of the window and get into the heat. Get into there. There were many lamps burning in that room that night. And I believe that God is illuminating hearts. There's many lamps in this room today, many lamps online. God is illuminating your life. God's making connections. God's showing you the world that you live in through his lens. Many lamps. God wants us to live our lives. Watch your position. Care for people. If you see others around you or if you don't see others around you, reach out, you who are spiritual. If you're in a compromised position, don't try and do this. Let the people who are strong and who are healthy. If you had a back injury and they told you don't lift anything over 10 pounds and you went and tried to lift, that's your fault if you get hurt. In the same way, listen to your pastor. If you realize I'm immature, I'm unspiritual, I'm backsliding, get yourself in a position of strength before you try and help someone else. That's how this works. But we need to care for people and we need to value our faith. Put a priority on it. Put a priority on church. Those of you that are watching online, I love you so much. And I realize there are some people with compromised immune systems and you're very concerned about coming out right now. I'm not telling you to do anything that goes against your conscience or against what God told you. But if you're healthy, 
If you're well watching online and if you're in the area, what are you doing staying home? It's time to wake up, it's time to watch your position, and it's time to get back to church, get back into fellowship because God wants us to gather together. The koinonia, the, the, the fellowship that we share, the ecclesia, the gathered, assembled church of God. Something is different when we're here live. Something's different when we're here together. There is something that God wants us to do, and Bethel is the house of God, that place where heaven opens up and God speaks purpose and destiny. You can have an encounter with God anywhere on the earth. We understand that. We know that. And you can learn something from the things of God, but what you can't do is reach out to your sleeping neighbor or have someone reach out to you. If you're sitting in your house, isolated from the people of God, it's time to come back to church. Start next week in Jesus' name. Here we go. Come on, church. We're waking up. We're waking up. Can we pray together today? Let's pray. Bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would allow us the grace, God, to stay awake in this hour. As it says in Peter, there are many who would say the world has gone on as it was since the beginning. And where is his coming? Where is this God? What's going on? It's taken a long time. And many people abandon their faith. They fall asleep. They fall and they die. Let that not be us, God. May we be the faithful servants found watching at the door, waiting for your coming. Lamps lit, full of oil, burning bright for Jesus. Today, as you are in this holy moment, would you just pray and say, God, what are you speaking to me personally and individually through this message, through this word? For some of you, God's telling you to take a look at your position. At one point you were strong, and now you're sitting in a window, falling asleep. And God's given you a warning along with the wisdom. It's time to move, time to change your position, time to get strong and spiritual. Some of you, that means coming back to church. For some of you, that means doing the first works that you've abandoned. That zeal and that passion that you let grow cold, God says, fan it into flame. For some of you, God's put someone else on your heart. You're strong, you're spiritual, and God is saying you need to reach out from that position of strength. You need to wake them up. Or maybe you need to embrace them and speak the life of God over their lives with a compassion and with a love, not with judgment and criticism, condemnation. What's God speaking to you? For some of you, God's talking to you about the value that you place on your faith, the priority level. He's given you a plan. Maybe it's Bible reading. Maybe it's spending time in prayer, scripture memorization, or 
involvement here at the church. Could be witnessing to the people on your job. Whatever it is that God's spoken to you, would you value it enough to write it down? And if I don't write stuff down, I forget it. And I don't want you to forget it. It's important. And if it's important, then you need to remember it. Just take out a pen and paper. Maybe you've got a smart device you want to take a note on. Just write it down right now, what God has been speaking to you. If you're here with a faithful friend, maybe a family member, you're watching online with a group of people that you trust. Maybe you just want to share that with them right now. Show them the note, maybe whisper it in their ear, that sort of a thing. If you're watching online and you see the comment section, if it's appropriate, you want to just put that scripture or that word that God gave you, just put that right there in the comment section right now. It brings accountability. You know, when someone else knows, now all of a sudden you've got to do it, right? But it also brings agreement, and there's great power when there's agreement. Hey, yeah, I'm going to believe God for you with that. Let's go. It's going to be good. You can do it. Man, now all of a sudden, where there was one alone, you might have been broken, but the Bible says a quarter of three strands is not easily broken. That agreement has power. You'll be stronger and you'll be able to do the will of God. Father, everything that you've committed to us, we commit back to your care. And we thank you, God, that we are not a sleeping church. God, we're awakening to righteousness and to the light of life that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.